0: Let's pray. God, I thank you so much for your faithfulness to us. We don't deserve it. We don't deserve for you to be faithful to us because we are so unfaithful to you so often, Lord. But thank you, thank you, thank you. God, I, we, we know that you are here, but I just pray that you would make your presence known to us in a special way this morning, God. Speak to our hearts. Meet us right where we're at, God. No matter how we're feeling Whatever is going on in our lives, whatever we're nervous about for today, this week, that you would meet us right here and speak so loudly, Jesus. Pray this in your name. Amen. Amen. All right. So we're talking about fear of the unknown this morning. And here's the thing about fear of the unknown. It's, it's always just one text message away for us. It's always one phone call away, one knock on the door, right? One email away, one news report, one social media post away. Remember, I got a call a few years ago, um, our youngest, Ian. Um, I think it was one, maybe not even one yet. Uh, I got a call from Heather, my wife. By the way, um, before I get too far into this messenger story, it's her birthday today. She was the one singer, so yeah. Make her feel special today and awkward. It'll be great. Um, so love you, dear. Uh, but got a call from Heather a couple years ago. And she's like, Ian's face is blowing up. And I'm like, Ian's face is blowing up. And she's like, no, like, it, it's, it, there's a rash and all this. I'm on the way to the ER. Um, and I'm like, oh, OK, I'll, I'll meet you at the ER. And we get there. And I'm like, what is going on? And it turns out, fed him a little peanut butter for the first time and, and he barely even touched it with, with his tongue and whatever, I mean, barely even ate it and um, he was blown up and so we're like, oh no, what does this mean? We have two older kids and Heather and I have zero food allergies, right? So we're like, we don't, we don't know what this, we don't know what's going on. So we go to the allergist and they do that, that crazy test where they, they put something on their skin and like all these things pop up on their skin and tells you what they're allergic to. Well, Ian, is a very special child, and he's allergic to dairy, eggs, and peanut butter, we found out. So, you know, I'm thinking, okay, what does this mean for us? Does this this mean no more Texas roadhouse? Is there peanuts on? Like, what? You know, the important things, but... Fear of the unknown, right? We just don't know. You don't know what you don't know. And, and uh, yeah, we figured out there's, there's actually a lot of great alternatives for things out there, and, and it, it's worked out okay, but had no idea what was coming. And I think for, the, for all of us here, about a year ago, this happened to us in a major way. We're like, what is going on? Coronavirus? What, what, what is this thing, right? And I remember for me... Uh, the first time it really hit me that, okay, life is going to be different for a while. Um, uh, We're sitting at Famous Dave's. We're on the way home from Heather's folks. It was a Saturday. Um, Check my email quick. uh, And there's an email from one of our elders saying, hey, Cornerstone Church, our, our parent church in Ames, has canceled their services for the next three weeks. And I'm like, oh, this is a this is for real. Like, <laughs> what does this mean? What are we gonna do? I'm like, kids, enjoy your meal, because we might not be at a restaurant for a while. Um, and it turns out we weren't, but that happened to us, right? All in, in different ways, and, and we could all go around and share a story or, or ten about how we were we were afraid of what was going to happen, and for good reason. But here's what I want to tell you this morning, and what I want to show you in the scripture: fear is normal. Fear is an emotion, and it's normal. Chip Dodd, in his book, says this There was a time when I thought, and I am with him, by the way, there was a time when I thought and had even been tutored to believe that feelings are neither good nor bad, they just are. That is not true. Feelings are good. However, when I behave irresponsibly with my feelings, what I do with those feelings can certainly be evaluated. It's my behavior or, or planned behavior that is good or bad, but feelings themselves are good, each feeling a gift of God. Think about that. Fear is a gift of God. And here's, here's how, why that's true. Fear is actually intended to warn us of things, to help us out. To, to help us act more wisely, right? But the question is not, will you be afraid of the unknown? Of course you will. When you get that call, when you get that text message, you will be afraid of the unknown, and that's normal. Don't feel bad for that. The question is, how will you respond to that fear of the unknown? We don't, we don't apologize for waking up in the morning and then seeing things. There's the wall, Where there's the bathroom. That would be silly. Why why would we do that, right? Yet we often receive an alarming text message and end up feeling bad for being afraid. What's up with that? Why do we do that? Well, I think we have it mixed up a little bit. It's not the feeling that's wrong, it's what we do with the feeling that, that determines whether it's right or wrong. So, again, the question is not will you be afraid of the unknown, it's how will you respond to the fear of the unknown, So, we're going to see this morning how Jesus' disciples respond to the fear of the unknown. So, if you'll turn with me, if you have a Bible or an app, to Matthew chapter 20, verse 17. And while you're going there, for kids in the room and kids at heart in the room, I just want to get this out because you're all thinking it, and you will be the more and more I talk this morning. So, we'll just get it out, all right? Into the unknown. (laughs) Anyone? No? No one wants to hit the high note for me? All right. Ah, okay. We all got that out. I'm just doing that to help you get that out of your mind. You know, you play the song that's in your head so that it gets out of your head. That doesn't work for me, but hopefully that worked for you this time. Here we go. We're in Matthew 20, verse 17. 17 to 19 is the unknown. How's this unknown? Well, Jesus is telling his 12 disciples here the details of what's to come in Jerusalem. He's going to get flogged, crucified, and then he's going to rise from the dead. That's actually known to Jesus. But think of it through the disciples' lens. These, these 12 guys are hearing these details for the first time. They'd heard a little bit from Jesus of what was going to happen, but now they're hearing it in, in Pretty, pretty full detail of what's going to happen for the first time. And certainly, I'm sure that they are afraid of what's going to happen next. Even these details just raise a bunch more questions for them of the unknown. Like, when will this happen? Is this going to happen tomorrow? Two days from now? Three months from now? Or, or wait, did you, did you just say you're going to rise from the dead after three days being dead? Um, Jesus sound kind of crazy, Uh, and then I'm sure they're thinking, what are we supposed to do during this? This is what's going to happen to you. What about us? I thought you were going to start a coup. I thought you were going to overtake the establishment and have some battle royale in Jerusalem. That's not what this sounds like. Is that still happening? Should I put my brass knuckles away? What's going on? So naturally, the 12 are left reeling and afraid of the unknown. Again, this feeling of theirs is normal. And it's not wrong of them to feel afraid. Anyone would in that circumstance. It's how they respond and how they behave that gets them into trouble. So let's read verse 20. Moving on. 20, 20. They're frozen. Then the mother of the sons of Zebedee came up to him with her sons, and kneeling before him, she asked him for something. I'm just going to stop right there. Between 19 and 20, something had to have happened. Because somehow, the mother of the sons of Zebedee, which is James and John, James and John somehow told their mother what Jesus just told the 12. So I've got a couple speculations that I don't think are too far fetched. I think that James and John were frozen by the fear of the unknown. Okay, maybe they were frozen by what I call analysis paralysis. You know what I'm talking about. You, you start analyzing and dissecting a situation so much with all of these, these what ifs this and what if that that you become so afraid of doing the wrong thing that you don't do anything. I think that's what's going on with James and John. And that, that reminds me of a, a show where there's a character named Cheaty on The Good Place. Check it out
1: a little trouble writing my speech. Um, I wrote 11 different versions. Wedding's in 20 minutes, buddy. Oh boy, I mean, these run about 55 minutes apiece. I'm really hot. Is this air conditioner even working? Yes, it is. You're just having a literal meltdown. Also, you're not dressed yet, and we haven't picked up the ring. Okay, well, uh, th- there's an issue there uh, involving what I consider to be unfair labor practices on the part of the jeweler. And we never had a bachelor party because you can never settle on a location or time. I'm sorry, you were right. This is too much for me. You should just leave me here and go get married. Yeah, here's the thing, bud. My wedding isn't for another month. This was a test to see if you could handle being my best man. And just as I predicted, you failed miserably. Oh, no, no, I I mean, I'm, I'm relieved, but this is embarrassing. It's okay, bud. Obviously I prepared for this. Let's just go have a nice night. I'll buy you a beer. 30 minutes, Chidi? We've been trying to pick a bar for 30 minutes. It is literally impossible to be your friend. You're incapable of making a single decision. Look, I know I can be indecisive, but what's the harm in taking a few extra minutes to find the perfect-
0: (laughs) Good old Chidi. See, in in this story, the mom of James and John, I think they hear, she hears her boys having this analysis paralysis party, kind of like cheaty. She overhears them and is like, enough, boys. I'm taking the matters, this matter into my own hands, and we're going to see what she does in a second. But before we get there, I want to I pro- propose another solution of what happened between verses 19 and 20. 20. Maybe, maybe their frozenness leads them to grumbling and complaining to their mom. Maybe they weren't like cheating. Maybe they actually just straight up went to their mom and were like, hey, seriously, mom, I can't believe what Jesus just told us. Are you kidding me? We've done all of this work just so we can walk into Jerusalem and get mocked and then he's gonna get killed? Jesus is leaving us out to dry? Whining, complaining, and, and of course they're whining and complaining to a totally unbiased and objective person, their mom. Not, right? Can you believe what might happen, mom? Keyword there, might. Hear the problem? Can you believe what might happen? You know that you're frozen in fear when might becomes king right? This might happen, this might happen, this might happen, or that might happen. You're not living in the truth of the situation, for sure, and and other people get sucked in, in this case their mom, into the mites, and often your mites don't even end up happening in these situations. When you're frozen in fear, though, it doesn't necessarily mean you don't do anything, it just means that you do nothing to face the fear. Instead, you fixate on the what-ifs, on the mites. You pretend to take yourself out of this situation. You're not actually taking yourself out, but you pretend to take yourself out. I'll just take a step back so I can quick fire some shots at this situation. When in all actuality, you're still a part of it. It's still your situation. Imagine, maybe this is true for some of you, I I pray not, but imagine you're scared of the future of your company where you work or the institution where you work. You're scared for your own job and just for the company in general. So you end up treating the company like them and you just critique the snot out of this company behind their backs with your friends, with your family, whoever. You're just like, man, this company's terrible. They're the worst. They're doing this. They're doing that. But here's the thing, you think it's not your problem and you think you've removed yourself, but here's the deal. You're still employed there and you're attacking them and making it a them versus us when you're actually them. You're part of that company. This is what we do when we become frozen in fear often. We try to remove ourselves. We're so frozen that we, we, we don't want to face it I'm too afraid to face it, so I'm going to step back and just fire away at it. See, James and John may have been doing that as well, whining and complaining, and just taking shots. And, uh, James and John here are passive. They're frozen. They're like, let, let mom take care of it. And she does. Verse 21, or she tries to. Verse 21, And Jesus said to her, the mother What do you want? And she said to him, Say that these two sons of mine are to sit, one at your right hand and one at your left in your kingdom. Jesus answered, You do not know what you're asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I am to drink? They said to him, Oh yeah, we're able. He said to them, You will drink my cup, but to sit at my right hand and at my left is not mine to grant, but it is for those to whom it has been prepared by my Father. And when the ten heard it, they were indignant at the two brothers. The mom and the sons, James and John, are fighting for control and for position. So it's turned from being frozen to now fighting. They're fighting for control. They're like, this Jerusalem thing, this trip to Jerusalem scares us. So we better grasp for some control. It's not enough for us to know uh, we're going to be with Jesus when this happens. We want the best seat when it, when it all is settled. When, when all is said and done, we're in heaven. We want the best seat. We better get rewarded for this. They want control. I need specifics. I need them now, Jesus. Isn't this us so often, though, too, with our fear of the unknown? We don't just stop with, with dealing with what we can control. We try to seize control of things that we can't can't. I remember <laughs> our wedding rehearsal. You, you guys know, you've, you've heard the term uh, bridezilla, right? That was not Heather. That was me. Groomzilla. Ask Ryan Graydon. He was the officiant. Um, <laughs> and I'm not proud of that, right? I just, I'd, I was trying to grasp and seize control of things that I had no control over because here's the thing. I wasn't the officiant. I was just the groom. Why did I do that? Because I felt out of control. And here's the thing. Even the things that I was trying to seize control of, the next day, Heather lost her voice and we were going to sing a duet together and she had a verse that she was singing solo, I was singing solo. She doesn't have a voice. Here we're, talk about being out of control, it gets to that verse and somehow by God's grace I made up a verse on the spot because I didn't actually know it and it sounded all right and no one really knew the difference except Heather and I. Um, except for now. Now you all know that. So, um, But, it, see, things that we try to seize control of usually just end up getting more out of control. It's, it's almost like God going, yeah, you think you have it? No, no, you don't. The mom here and her sons, James and John, though, are not just fighting for control. They're also fighting for position. These guys are like, we, we want the best seats so that everyone sees that we made it. If we're going to go through all this junk in Jerusalem, it better be worth it. And we've earned it. James and John, they're like, we, they're probably thinking, we've earned it. They're, we're part of the like, inner three that Jesus seemed to te- spend a little more time with. Peter, James, and John. And, and James and John are like, we're, we're, we're the big three here. We're, we're part of the big three. We should have these seats. Let's go down in history, you know. Before we get too judgy, isn't this us? Think of the situation I said earlier. Maybe you have no idea the future of your job or of the company or institution you're working at, your employer, you just things don't look great financially. And instead you you just start to brown nose with your employer. You you fight for position right you, you you try to just with with your boss you're trying to just make yourself look even better than you are and brown nose so you can guarantee favor in case things do go sour and that's another way of just fighting we also see that these sons are fighting with empty promises they say hey uh jesus we we can bear this cup Jesus is like, can you, can you bear the cup that I'm about to bear? And like, And Oh, yeah, we can. Well, here's what this means. This language with, throughout Scripture of, of bearing a cup talks, is talking about God's divine plan. And right here, particularly, it's talking about suffering. And they're saying, oh, yeah, we're, gonna, we're able to go through whatever you're about to go through, Jesus. We can do it. We've got this. And Jesus is like, oh, yeah, you will. You'll suffer for my sake. Don't worry about that but you're missing the point, guys. You're missing the point. See, it's, it's not about this, okay? You, you missed it, James and John. You're fighting for more control and more position by puffing your chests out and going, we can do this. And I'll humor you guys a bit, but this isn't what it's all about. And this is us so often, too. We have fear of the unknown coming at us, and we're like, bring on the chaos. I can handle it. And Jesus is going to us, no, no you can't. It's not time to be puffing out your chest when you're afraid. It's, it's time to run to me. We see in, this, in verse 24, the other ten disciples When they heard this, they were indignant at James and John. Indignant. That means uh, they're like, you know what? We're so much better than James and John. Okay, We would never be so controlling. We trust Jesus. Really, you do? Then why are you comparing yourself to James and John? See, this is just another attempt to fight the fear of the unknown. And they're doing it through self-righteous comparison. They're like hey, we don't know what's coming either, but at least we're not like those guys. They're so full of themselves. They're so controlling. But I'm not afraid. See, they're, they're living in denial. And this is us often as well. We, we walk around basically like with a, a no-fear bumper sticker on our arms or on our foreheads, and we're like, ah, financial insecurity, not really sure what's going to happen, finances, whatever, I'm not worried like they are about finances. Or parenting. Maybe you're not a parent yet, or, or like me, I, mean, I haven't parented teens, and I hear people tell me, oh, man, just wait until you're parenting teenagers, and I'm like, bring it on. You know, I'll be way better than them at that. (laughs) Yeah, right. See, all along, we're just fighting with denial. And the answers aren't found within ourselves. The answers, the help that we need is actually found outside ourselves. So let's see how to face fear of the unknown. Verses 25 to 28. But Jesus called them to him and said, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercised authority over them. It shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be your slave, even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Here's how you face fear of the unknown. You do it with Jesus. See here, Jesus is going to Jerusalem with them. Jesus is the one that's going to experience the pain in Jerusalem. And James and John and the the other ten as well could have just come to Jesus all along with their fear. But instead, James and John go to their mother and the other ten are just standing around and go, oh, I'm better than those guys are. When Jesus, all they want, he wanted them to do was to hear this and come to him and find comfort in the fact that he's going to be with them through all of it. Facing the fear of the unknown is all about facing it with Jesus, that Jesus is with me right now. I have no idea what's going to happen tomorrow. We never do. In a sense, we're always facing the fear of the unknown. We have no idea what tomorrow holds, but Jesus is here with me right now. I mean, think about it. What, what comfort in uncertainty, what joy in sorrow, what peace amidst potential chaos to know that Jesus is here, the king of the universe, who made every single cell in my body, who breathed out every single star in the universe, who knows everything about everything, who knows everything that's going to happen and has a plan, who, who is the king of everything that we can see every day who has the power to do anything whenever he wants, he, he is with me right now. That's how you face the fear of the unknown. When you're really feeling afraid of this unknown thing in your life, know that he is here right now with you. He's he's closer than your very breath. He's closer than your best friend. He knows us better than we know ourselves right now. But he's not just here with us right now. He's going to be with us tomorrow when that unknown thing comes or next month or next year. And when our Jerusalem hits, our Jerusalem visit hits, he will still be with us there. See, we can face up to fear not because. We know what's going to happen, but because we're with the one who knows what's going to happen. He will be with us. It's not like your dad saying, hey, I, I, I'm going to show up for your game, and then he doesn't. It's not like a friend who probably will be at the hospital with you when you wake up from surgery. No, he will be there. 100% certainty. So we face the fear of the unknown by facing it with Jesus. And secondly, we face the fear of the unknown by facing it with Jesus' heart. We see Jesus' heart in verses 25 to 28 that I just read. Servant-hearted, sacrificial, giving. Even God came not to be served, but to serve. We face Fear of the unknown by facing it with Jesus' heart, by resting in Jesus' heart for me, for you. Here's Jesus' heart towards his followers. It's sacrificial, it's giving. As Jesus says in Matthew eleven twenty nine, 29, he says, I am gentle and lowly in heart. Gentle and lowly, sacrificial. Gentle means this. Dane Ortlund wrote a book called Gentle and Lowly that I'm reading right now, and he says this about Jesus being gentle. Jesus is not trigger-happy. He's not harsh, reactionary, easily tempered, or easily exasperated. He's the most understanding person in the universe. The posture most natural to him is not a pointed finger, but open arms. That's what it means that Jesus is gentle in heart. He's patient. He's caring. He gets you. It also means that he gently gives you grace and me grace when I, we act like the disciples, right? When, when we freeze and just start, and just start complaining or, or overanalyzing or we start to fight and grasp for control, he, gives us, he gently gives us grace to straighten up and recalibrate back on him. Even in our sin and our weaknesses, he is is gentle towards us. But he's also lowly. That word lowly means approachable, accessible. He he invites an honest pouring out of our fears of the unknown. He, He not only can handle our fears of the unknown, he invites us to share it with him. This is the heart of Jesus. This is the heart of Jesus towards you. As you face fear, it's, it's, it's not just that he's with you and it's not just that he understands. He invites raw honesty and wrestling. So let's do some heart examination. Do we really believe that just the, this is Jesus' heart towards us? That Jesus is actually gentle and approachable with you? Last week, Chris Hansen did a magnificent job with a magnificent scripture. Go back and listen if you missed it, but the end of Romans 8, verse 35, it says, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? And my wife Heather had a a really good insight during Connection Group the other night. She said, the who, who shall separate me from the love of Christ includes me. I can't separate me from the love of Jesus. You can't separate you from the love of Jesus. No matter what you do or say, no matter how honest you are with him, you can't separate yourself from his love. This is his gentle, approachable heart towards you. So if today, if this morning already, maybe you were arguing on your way to church today with your spouse or or having a hot temper with with your kids. Jesus' heart is the same towards you as if you spent the last 24 hours praying. Do you believe that? That's the gospel truth. Jesus is gentle and lowly in heart. He really does love you even when you're acting like a doofus. As the Jesus Storybook Bible said, Jesus is never stopping, never giving up, unbreaking, always and forever love. I love that. This is our confidence. This is our assurance. It's ours. It's ours. Enjoy it. Be blown away by it again and again and again. And if it starts to sound too good to be true, can Jesus actually be that loving and gentle? You're starting to get the point. So I want us to just pause for a minute and I want to take communion kind of in the middle of my message and I'm just remembering now I forgot to grab one. So if you want to grab one of these under your seat and take the bread out first and, and here's why I want to do this now. I, just, I want to pause right now while we're talking about the gospel, about Jesus' gentleness and, and as we take the bread... I want you to rest in Jesus' heart of gentleness as you take this. See, his, his body was bruised and broken. That's what this bread represents. And it was broken for us, for you, for me, if you have believed in him. And he's, he's, he did all of that. His body was broken and bruised so that we can no longer experience his, his wrath, which is what we deserve. Instead, we experience his arms wrapping around us, his gentleness take this together. Now let's turn to the juice. As you're taking this, I want you to rest in Jesus' lowliness, his approachability, his his accessibility. See, he poured out his blood on the cross so that ours wouldn't be poured out. He poured out his blood so that we could then pour out our hearts to him on a moment-to-moment basis. Isn't that incredible? Let's take this together. All right, hang with me just for a couple more minutes. Here's what we need to do with this. As we rest more and more in Jesus' heart for us that is gentle and approachable, it propels us then to reflect his heart to other people. See, that's what Jesus called his disciples to do in this. He said, hey, you need to not come to me and ask for the most important seats. You need to come to me, find rest, and then turn to other people and let that motivate you to be gentle and accessible to them. Jesus is saying, hey, whatever happens next, whatever happens in the unknown in your Jerusalem, (coughs) excuse me, (coughs) in your Jerusalem, be gentle with other people. Be caring for them, serving them, even while you're afraid. Whatever happens in your Jerusalem, be accessible to other people. Empathize with people, listen to them, walk with them even while you're facing fear yourself. And here's how you do it. Face it knowing that Jesus is with you, his presence. And face it by resting in his heart for you. Whatever fear of the unknown you're facing now, here this morning, today, the key is his presence and his heart. So let me share some of Jesus' last words on earth. Matthew 28, 19 to 20. Go therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And people often stop in the middle of that verse. But the last thing is the last thing for, the, for a reason. Jesus ends and says, behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. See, there's no point in trying to do stuff for Jesus. Jesus. If we're not enjoying his heart, if we're not, <clears throat> excuse me, if we're not being filled up with Jesus' heart for us and realizing that he is with us, because you have no shot of making disciples, if you are not consciously aware moment by moment that he is right there with you. The King of kings and Lord of Lords. Who knows every single hair on your body and knows all of your inconsistencies and sin and failure and strengths and gifts, all of the good and bad and in between? He knows all of it. Says, I love you. Nothing can separate you from me, and I'm with you always, no matter what happens tomorrow. Let's pray. God, thank you so much. Thank you so much that no matter what happens tomorrow, you're with us. It's so simple. I mean, we, we teach this to kids from a young age. We sing, Jesus loves me, this I know. But man, God, Lord, please, please just convince us that this is true. The devil wants us to believe that we are not alone or that we are alone. He wants us to, to believe wholeheartedly that we actually are alone, that you are not there with us. So I pray that today and this week you would help us to take our thoughts captive and go, no, Jesus is here with me and he is gentle and he is accessible. I'm talking to him right now. And as we do that, there would be freedom. She would free us more and more from, from, from being frozen in our fear and and fighting with our fear, but rather to face it with you, with your heart, God. Thank you for your heart for us, Jesus. We don't deserve it. In your name I pray. Amen.